I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to episode 17 of the Sportster Show. My name is Jim Parsons. I'm here with Sportster.com. This show is all about Triple H. Everything Triple H related, what he's done for SummerSlam, what he did for Raw, what he's done for SmackDown, some debuts, Dakota Kai, EO Sky, Karrion Cross, Dexter Loomis, big influence from NXT. Will we see more of this? What's going to happen with Raw and SmackDown moving forward? What does WWE look like under Triple H and his creative you know, handprint? Who should we expect to get pushes? And will we see different changes? We're going to talk all of that this week. We've got Mike Chin on us. Uh, with us from the Sportster, he's going to be joining us this week as Norman is on vacation. Uh, so this is episode 17 of the Sportster Show. We hope that you guys enjoy. Don't forget, download, subscribe, listen to the show, give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. We'd greatly appreciate this. And enjoy. This is all about Triple H and what he's going to do and has already done for WWE. <laughs> Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Sportster Show. My name is Jim Parsons. I'm here with We've got a special guest today. Norman is away. He's on vacation, and hopefully he's enjoying himself. Uh, Mike Chin is with us. Michael Chin from the Sportster. Uh, you may know him from some of the videos that he's been putting up on our Facebook page. He's been at some events lately. Uh, check out Ric Flair's last match. Was it SummerSlam? Uh, stuff like that. Mike, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Jim? Good, good. Uh, having a lot of fun. We were talking before you came on air here that uh, you got the chance to go check out some events and they were pretty cool. Um, tell me a little bit about the SummerSlam event and the Brock Lesnar tractor spot where he moved the ring. What was that like to see in person? 
Yeah, that, that was just so much fun. Um, you know, I, I've been to my, my share of wrestling events. This, this is my fifth SummerSlam overall. And I think at this point, one of the biggest things I'm looking for when I go to a show like that is just something genuinely different to happen. Uh, something that I could actually, you know, re- remember specifically, oh yeah, I was there for that year, that match, that moment. Um, and so to see a guy drive a tractor to, to the ring and kind of topple it sideways, that, that rates, right? That that qualifies as a, as a memorable moment. So that, that was pretty great to be there for. Could you see that the tractor was- was out there the whole time like was it out there the whole time and were people around you kind of going what the hell's that thing doing there like are, are they going to use this is this just a prop <laughs> for whatever like did people yeah. put two and two together that lesnar might use that at, the, at some point in the match yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it was, you know, it was part of the entrance. So it was kind of that, you know, Chekhov's gun standing there over, over the mantle place. If you're like, like maybe this factors in later, or maybe it's just a cool entrance. Um, there were a few people sitting nearby me who were speculating re- really loudly, like they're going to pin somebody underneath that tractor to, to finish this match, which actually I thought would been you know, a fun finish in its own right. Um, but, but, but yeah, so there, there were some hints there that it was going to come into play later on, whether it was, you know, a big bump off the tractor uh, or, or whether it was, you know, pinning someone underneath it. I don't think anyone called what actually happened in terms of what, what he did to the ring there. Um, but, but, but yeah, I think that's part of what made the moment um, you know, more enjoyable because it was uh, something that it, it made sense in the context of everything that was happening in that chaotic match. Um, but I don't think anyone really called that. Yeah, it was pretty fun to watch on TV, too. And especially when he first tries to use the thing and he pushes the ring by accident. I think <laughs> by accident. When and, and from what I understand, he didn't really rehearse prior to this thing. So he just kind of hopped in there, did what he was going to do. Uh, props to everybody. Uh, I can imagine being around that ring if you're Roman or you're Corey Graves, and he's talked about it on his podcast. He's probably crapping his pants because he's thinking, oh, my gosh, <laughs> this ring is coming right at me. And he's he's got no idea what's going on. So that was pretty pretty cool. What was another t- big takeaway? If we talk in that one, but like, was there another big takeaway from that pay-per-view kind of a moment that everybody really responded to? I, I, I had one for me that I watched and we'll talk about that's the kind of the theme of the show today. But uh, anything that stood out for the live crowd? Uh, you know, I think the other really big thing for for the live crowd, although I imagine this this certainly translated to to the people watching at home as well, um, but was just uh, the the end of the the opening match, Bianca Belair, but Becky Lynch, um, to have that series of entrances from from you know Bailey, from Dakota Kai, from um, I'm going to get get used to calling her Eo Sky, uh, but but you know to, to see to see them just kind of all come out. Um, Dakota Kai was kind of the one that I really popped for. Um, you know, I think it, it was great to see all of them, um, but just not having any sense that she she was going to be coming back at all right you know you know was was always sort of uh you know she's around she's signed to wwe they they could bring her at any point um dakota kai i was more expecting to show up like an impact wrestling or something and so for her to suddenly make that entrance you know that early in summer slam uh that that was a pretty wild moment and and i think speaks to some of what's going on under the new triple h creative regime and talent relations regime uh of just these you know really out of left field like that person signed there wasn't even a rumbling of that I didn't hear any rumors like and that's that's I think you know pretty pretty fun to be there for live just to see that entrance yeah and that's what we're going to be talking about today that's the moment I was thinking of too when those two ladies uh showed up beside Bailey and everybody's like what what <laughs> like it was a, a just a real kind of this is happening and it's kind of cool whatever's going on here and trying to figure that out I do before we move into the Triple H regime which will be the focus of the podcast today and talking about things that have happened here on Raw and SmackDown and SummerSlam and, and everything that seems to be coming with him in charge creatively. I, I got to ask you though, about the Ric Flair last match, you were at yeah. that as well. Um, 
it's kind of the opposite of SummerSlam, you know, where sure. SummerSlam feels maybe like a pay-per-view where things are changing and things are maybe getting better, depending on how you look at WWE and how you are a fan. Uh, this Ric Flair match was supposed to be kind of the one and done. This is it. This is the whole thing I've read. And he admitted, I think, a couple times that he like sort of passed out during the match and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was not when they heard when they made this announcement that he was going to have his last match. I was pretty critical of it. I did not have any interest in seeing another Ric Flair match because I to me was thinking this this won't be good. Like there's just no way, no matter how much training he does with Jay Lethal, that this is going to be entertaining. It's going to be interesting because it's Ric Flair's last match, but I don't even buy that. Um, I, what was the vibe in that place? Like it was it, you know, this is Ric Flair's last match. This is going to be the end. Uh, was it a lot of what people think about Flair, which is he's never going to hang up. He's literally going to have to die in the ring before he yeah. quits. Um, what was the vibe at that pay-per-view? I don't even know. Was it a pay-per-view? Like it was an event for sure. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, they, they did broadcast you on pay-per-views. I think we can technically call it on, it was on fight TV. You know, they did that whole thing, but um, yeah, you know, it, it's funny. It's one of those shows. Uh, had I not been visiting Nashville, I really don't think I, I would have you know, paid to watch this thing. I might, I might have tracked down some clips on social media, but that's probably about as far as I would have gone. Um, because I was in Nashville, it was like, well, I mean, th- this is this is a unique thing. Like, like I, I kind of got to check this out since I'm in town anyway. Um, and the the vibe, I mean, there was a ton of excitement. I mean, this was clearly people who listened to all the Conrad Thompson podcasts, people who've, you know, been following the NWA since, you know, their, their childhoods. And so, um, you know, b- big nostalgia vibe, a lot of excitement in the building. Um, you know, they were selling the the action figures that, uh, you know, Matt Cardona produced of, of Ric Flair for like $200 out, out in the lobby a, a piece. So, you know, it's that kind of crowd where they sold, like people were buying these things. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. you know, I think there was a ton of excitement around um, just the event in general. Um, you know, and, and there were some really good matches earlier in the show. Um, those, you know, Motor City Machine Guns against the Wolves it was really good to open the show. Um, there's a Luchador match that Ray Phoenix won that, that kind of stole the show. I think everyone would, would pretty much agree was the match of the night. Um, but everyone was there to see the main event, obviously. I think, you know, Rick Ric Flair's last match is the name of the event. It's the, the selling point of, of the show. Um, and, you know, I, I similarly, I, if I were watching at home, I don't know that I would have, you know, enjoyed it or, or been praising it. I think uh, being there, it was hard not to get wrapped up in a little bit. Uh, I think literally every five seconds you're hearing someone give the big woo, Rick Ric Flair style. And so you, you can't you can't not get wrapped up a little bit in that. Yeah. Um, there were some scary moments, though, uh, in, in watching Flair. Uh, he um, you know, there's two moments that you referenced earlier where he lost consciousness d- during the match. Um, one of them was not a shocker to me because he was down for a while and it, it looked like like Andrade was literally just picking his body up and you know trying to wake him up. And apparently that's literally what was happening. He, he really was waking up in that moment to go to the finish. Um, so pretty scary that, that Flair would you know put himself in that situation. Um, I think you know, it had a happy ending. No, no one got seriously hurt. It seemed, um, you know, Flair got got out, you know, unscathed by his standards at this age. Uh, I really hope that that that's the end. That that's truly the last match. I think it's a fine note to go out on. Uh, but never say never with that guy. I, I, you know, it's like you said. I I could see it going either way. Okay, let me ask you this, just out of, for fun, uh, because we were talking about Triple H today, and we know how close Triple H is to Ric Flair. I don't expect WWE to ever let him wrestle, but under Triple H, do you see a situation where he gives Ric Flair a call and we see Ric Flair show up on WWE programming? 
I, I, I could absolutely see him showing up. Um, I, I think you're exactly right. I don't imagine they'll ever let him wrestle again. Um, as long as Charlotte Flair is in the mix, I know they, they distanced them for a while, kind of both as she was kind of, you know, becoming more into her own as, as a superstar. Uh, and as, you know, Ric Flair had his scandals related to the dark side of the ring stuff and, and all that. Um, but I think as long as she's there, there's a chance that they'll they'll invoke Ric Flair as well and, and pull him on screen. And even not, um, he's the kind of legend who, you know, still is a draw for at least a segment of the audience. And so with, with all of the you know, nostalgia stuff they've historically done, I could certainly see him being involved in that. Uh, I, I'm in the camp that still thinks eventually he's going to get that third Hall of Fame ring for evolution. So I think that that's, that's a possibility at some point down the road. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't think we'll ever see him physically engage on WWTV, but I, I, I feel pretty confident we'll see him again. That's interesting. It'll be a, if would Triple H, if he's in charge of this, put Evolution in the Hall of Fame anytime soon? That's a good question because if who's in charge of deciding that? That's what I want to know. Right. And if you're Triple H, do you take that? Do you put that look upon yourself and go, you know what? Hey, I'm in charge now. Let's put my group in there. Like. I'd be interested, but I, I do think you're probably right. I think they get in there eventually. Ric Flair is probably part of that group. And I think he'll show up on TV at some point. I think they'll wait a bit. And um, although you never know if you can piggyback off the popularity of the uh, of the event. You're probably right, though. The merchandise stuff was, was maybe the biggest thing. Conrad Thompson's a smart dude, and he probably oh, yeah. knew that just going to that, people were going to spend a lot of money, um, whether it was the last match or not, just to say they were there in case that it is. So uh, it was interesting. But let's switch gears a little bit, talk Triple H and what's going on in WWE, because that really is the big news uh, this week. Last week uh, kind of started. SummerSlam, I suppose, was kind of the first event under him uh, that he really got a chance. I suppose the Raw before that or the SmackDown before that, he had his hand in it. But uh, SummerSlam was kind of his show. I don't even know that I would count SummerSlam as a Triple H show because how quickly can you wrap your fingers around something? Um, that was pretty fast. So to me, the Raw and SmackDown that came after SummerSlam were really the Triple H statement shows. So far, we've got Dakota Kai. We've got EO Sky. We've got Karrion Cross, We've got Dexter Loomis now. We've got a lot of black and gold NXT people. Uh, you mentioned it. Dakota Kai was a real surprise because she had been released officially by WWE in April. So nobody really thought she'd be coming back. EO Sky was rumored to be leaving. Uh, she was still under contract, but it sounded like she was not planning on returning. They clearly talked her into not going anywhere. Karen Cross was released. He's now back. Dexter Loomis was released. He's now back. So Triple H has decided that some of these black and gold guys that are not under contract with other promotions like AEW, he wanted them. He made a statement very quickly the first impressions of Triple H's two shows, Raw, SmackDown, SummerSlam, is it too black and gold heavy? Is it too NXT focused? Um, is he tipping his hand too much? Or is just just the right amount of what he needs to do? Go, hey, by the way, this is important to me. And I say that because for the first time I can remember on Raw and SmackDown, the announcers are specifically talking about NXT and the importance of that yeah. championship and what was going on. And typically WWE's avoided that. They have not really referenced the importance of NXT and what guys have done or girls have done in that promotion or on that brand and made it sound important. And Triple H is going out of his way to make it sound important. So he's got four, five, maybe big people from black and gold making a statement on these shows. What's your first impression of what he's doing so far? 
Yeah, uh, I mean, my impressions are, are, are pretty positive, uh, you know, and I'll, I'll acknowledge my bias. I was a big Black and Gold fan. And so, you know, it, it feels like kind of coming home in that sense of all these stars, you know, both coming back. And then we see people uh, like, like, like Champa and Shayna Baszler and Ricochet picking up, you know, noteworthy wins on the shows that sort of, you know, all feel like they... Um, you know, we're, we're getting overlooked on, on, on the main roster, kind of you know, lost in the shuffle. Um, I think the, the, to me, the, the biggest uh, positive or, or the, the surprise and the thing that I think is making this work, at least you know, so far, is that it's a combination of it does feel more like a Triple H show, like he is you know, pushing talents we would kind of expect Triple H to push and kind of honoring that NXT tradition. But it also hasn't gone so far afield where it feels like he's just kind of scrapped everything and, and is starting you know, just his, his own story you know, suspend all the titles, have everybody, you know, reassigned to different roles. And I think that to me was the biggest weakness of the old NXT to WWE pipeline was sort of, um, you know, Karrion Cross. He's the reigning NXT champion. He's showing up without Scarlett and jobbing to Jeff Hardy on a random Monday Night Raw. Um, you know, to see Cross just kind of, you know, make the surprise debut with, you know, something closer to his full entrance with Scarlett attacking a main eventer. Um, that feels like like continuity of if you just erase the whole, what, his little stint in the main roster that was pretty forgettable anyway. Um, um, that feels like sort of, you know, a continuation of, of where things were in NXT in that way. Um, but we still do have, you know, R- Roman Reigns reigning as, as the champion. Um, Bobby Lashley, you know, was defending against Ciampa, but he didn't drop the title to him. So so the, we are still maintaining, you know, some continuity of where the main roster storylines were anyway. So I, I think he struck that balance and kind of threaded the needle really nicely so far. Yeah, no, he has done a good job of bringing these people in. One of the things that he's going to really need to be careful of, and I hope that he recognizes this, I know that he's very favorable to NXT because he helped build that, and he was kind of the creative mind behind everything that was happening prior to 2.0, is that he hopefully understands that not everybody watching these shows knows who these people are, right? Yes, we would assume as diehard fans that, of course, you know who Dakota's Kai is you of course you know who Dexter Loomis is a lot of people don't right this is a show that not everybody watched and this is a show that not everybody's familiar with these people so I think he's got to kind of walk that line of going okay Ciampa's pretty cool people from NXT that loved NXT love Ciampa he was one of the faces of that brand for the longest time but not everybody understands the importance of what he did for that promotion and will translate it over to Raw so, yes, you need to push him somehow. But I was listening to, um, you know, Busted Open with Dave LaGreca and Billy Ray, and they were both shocked that Ciampa did not win the United States champion. And I I totally disagree with that. I think it was a smart move to do all of the things that they did, you know, put the Harley Race you know, dedication out there, have him wear the robe, really talk about what he's done in NXT and have him lose. Right. Because I think even in a loss, you've made Ciampa at this point. That match was really strong probably the best match Bobby's last year has had uh, with anybody on raw Ciampa does not need to win. You don't want to take the buzz away and the heat away from last year being the United States champion because he's hugely over right now. The fans are super behind him. Uh, and Ciampa is now built as somebody with these promotional ideas here with the race connection and things like that to oppose the Miz at some point, right? Because he's working with the Miz and the Miz will turn on him. But inevitably that's just how the Miz operates. So we've got this Champa thing now kind of built up to being like, I could see why I would like Champa. Man, that story they told about him and his history, you got to like the guy. Mm-hmm. So there will be a turn at some point, I believe anyway. 
And I think they need to take that approach with other people. I think hopefully on SmackDown this week, we're going to see is sort of a history of Karrion Cross and what he did in NXT and why that was important. And just not at all talk about that earlier debut that Vince sure. had him doing with the Trojan War thing or whatever it was that you want to call what he was wearing. Um, and Dexter Loomis, I like the way that he was introduced on Raw because we have no clue who that guy is if you've never seen Dexter Loomis before, right? All you know is a creepy looking dude in a black hoodie showed up on the guardrail and was dragged away by security. That's all you know. And if you have no idea who Dexter Loomis is, you're curious. You're like, who the heck was that? Right? So I think it's smart to go, okay, we can't assume that everybody knows who these people are. So if we push too hard and we just bring them in and have them win championships or bring them in and put them in the main events or bring them in and just assume by mentioning their names that the fans are all on board with this. um, I don't think that works so much, but uh, do you agree? Like, does he need to be very, very careful about how he introduces these people to the roster? Yes. Put them in high profile spots, have them close the show, put them in big moments, but make sure you do it in a way that even the person who has no clue who that dude is, is kind of going, who's that guy? What is going on? And now I'm totally curious and invested in what happens. I need to watch next week just to figure out what is going on here. I think that's a great point. And I think that the, the way that these characters have been introduced or, or repushed or however you want to frame it, um, it's been a very good fit for who they are. Like, like, like Ciampa, um, he's a great match machine, right? Um, that, that's kind of, I th- when I think of him, that, that's his calling card. That's what makes him a star. And so to have him go out there you know, and work three really good matches to kind of put him back on the radar, I think that's the way to do it, whether he wins or loses those matches. Um, and similarly, uh, C- Karrion Cross, uh, he's not a great match machine, right? I, I, I like him more than a lot of people do. Um, but you know, it's all about kind of the presentation. He has the look, he has the entrance, uh, he had the character in NXT. Um, so introducing him in sort of that protected context where it's not like he goes out there um, and wins a 15 minute match to kind of reestablish him. Um, no, he has a really cool kind of mysterious entrance and he beats the crap out of Drew McIntyre. Uh, I think that that's the perfect way to introduce him. And, and same deal with Dexter Loomis, that it's going to be uh, creepy and mysterious. He's going to be hooded and arrested. Um, yeah, that, that fits Dexter Loomis. That, that, that's who that character is. Um, but to your point, yeah, I mean, as much as, uh, you know, you, you or I might, you know, sing the virtues of black and gold NXT, I recognize it's a fraction of the, the main roster audience that, that was following that show faithfully. Um, you know, Dakota Kai, for example, the way that she gets introduced on, on the main roster, um, there you can't rely on everyone, you know, knowing who she is or everyone being as excited as I was, uh, you know, when, when she hits the ring. Uh, but putting her in a package with, with Bailey, who people are going to be excited to see, uh, makes perfect sense, right? So setting people up for success, giving them the spotlight, and then it's going to be up to them to, you know, sink or swim in these spots. But I think, you know, by and large, these have been the right choices about how to you know put people in front of a crowd do you see more coming uh do you think this is probably going to be it for a few shows a few weeks where we're like okay we got a pretty heavy influx of nxt people is he going to continue this trend are we going to see a johnny gargano or a candice larray or whomever that he has found that has not signed with somebody yet brings him back or i mean we have no idea what the contract situation with some of these guys over in AEW, but there's some whispers that some of these guys aren't happy uh, over there. Do you believe we're going to see more NXT or will triple H take a step back now and go, okay, I've given you four or five people. I know you now know that I like NXT, but I don't want to go too hard on this uh, and make you think that all I'm doing is pushing NXT people. What do you think happens next year? Yeah. I mean, I think there's gotta be some pacing of it, right? This is something that, 
Um, you know, AEW got some criticism for for a little while, and I think that both practically speaking and creatively, they they chose to pull back on so many new debuts, new new mysteries, so so on and so forth. And similarly, yeah, yeah they can't do this every single week, or else the roster is just going to become incredibly bloated, and you know, and not going to have time to feature these people properly. Um, John, Johnny Gargano, uh, he certainly feels like sort of the the big, um, you know, where's he going to land? Where's he going to go? Um, it didn't seem like WWE was, was a likely or realistic possibility until Triple H took over. And now all of a sudden that that's back, you know, on, on the program, that certainly could happen. Um, so, so I, I think there's a fair chance we, we do suit him specifically. Um, but, but when the time is right, um, I don't as much expect him to show up on a random raw or SmackDown. I, I think it might be, you know, more of a either lead up to him coming in or, you know, at a, a premium live event, as they're calling him now, what one way or another that he you know, makes a big splash when he comes in. Uh, but, I th- but I think you're right too, that just um, that there's only so much space and only so many free agents who are, you know, viable people to, to bring back at this point. Uh, if I'm someone like, like Keith Lee, I'm, I might be kicking myself now, uh, sort of, um, you know, signing with AEW when he did. Um, not, not to get anything away from what he's doing there. I think the tag team is, is working well with Swerve, but, um, but nonetheless, he's one of those guys who I think, you know, probably assumed, well, I'm, I'm never going to be back at WWE. That, that went poorly. They're not going to want me back. I don't really want to be there. Um, who now might be saying, oh, with this going to be like the old NXT then I, I really had a shot there of, of you know really seeing my potential through um so but in any event you know I think over time for sure more more people are going to migrate back there's still gonna be some bouncing back and forth I think more than anything at this point it's sort of leaving a door cracked open for those kinds of returns when contracts do run up um you know people like like a Keith Lee like an Adam Cole who I don't think ever would have come back uh, maybe they do now right that, that door is kind of cracked open a smidge at least yeah, I mean, if they do, it's, it'll be a while. Malachi Black, Years. Adam Cole, five-year contracts with AEW. So right. there, he's Tony's con certainly not letting either one of those two guys out. There'd have to be something really go wrong there. Uh, and not to mention that Adam Cole and Britt Baker are probably attached to the hip here. So if one <laughs> goes, they both go. Um, I don't see it. But yeah, I, I think there might be some more NXT stuff. But I'm with you. I think it's going to take a bit. I, I think you need to sort of slow slow it up a little bit uh you can sprint then you walk then you jog then you sprint then you walk you know just kind of make sure that you don't overload what's going on and you got to make sure too that the people who are there and who have been complaining that they haven't been used properly in the past understand their role their importance under triple h um kevin owens is a perfect example of that right here's a guy who entertaining no matter what you give him to do uh, is unique in that way. There's only a handful of people in WWE or AEW that no matter what program you give them, Sami Zayn's another, they will make it work, right? They absolutely, the fact that he made the Ezekiel thing work, that speaks to the talent of Kevin Owens. So to see him back as the original, you know, prize fighter, KO, you know, black and gold, Kevin, like that's, I think where this is going uh, based on what we saw on Monday when he just destroyed Ezekiel. Uh, I have two questions for you. One, how excited are you to see Kevin Owens back in that respect? And two, do you think Ezekiel's done now? Oh, those, those are great questions. Um, so the first one's easy. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm excited to see this version of Kevin Owens back. Uh, we've seen glimmers of it off and on, but it's, it's been just sort of all over the place throughout his main roster run. And so, uh, yeah, I think that this is great to see. I think he can viably, you know, re-enter kind of the, the main event or at least fringe main event picture, um, you know, with, with this kind of uh, setup for his character. So, yeah, I, th- I think that's great. Uh, in terms of, of Ezekiel, um, it'll be interesting to see what, what what they do with that character. 
character moving forward. Um, I'll, I'll be transparent. Um, I, I've, I was never a big fan of Elias. I, I've, I've not been a big fan of the whole Ezekiel gimmick either. I think it's it's fine. It's kind of a comedy gimmick. It felt sort of you know beneath Kevin Owens in terms of you know, what he could be doing. Um, and so I think one of the questions is what Triple H's vision for this guy might be. Um, and so um, Ezekiel feels like very much a, a Vince McMahon invention, uh, at least from my perspective. And so um, I could see this being sort of the, that's the end of that version of the character. Um, we, we do see Elias again. Um, I do think he has some value. Uh, I, I think that, you know, taking, taking away sort of the guitar playing and, and making the songs about the local market before he wrestles his matches sort of stripped away the most fun part of that character and so i I think if anything we we might go back to that version uh of the performer um but but i I also sort of see he's gonna you know be be in the middle of the card i I don't see him factoring into you know major major things anytime soon i will give elias ezekiel whatever you want to call him uh i will give him credit to me the return of his character in the form of ezekiel screamed that no one knew what to do and we had heard rumors that they were repackaging him over and over, that he looked too much like Randy Savage, so they went and pulled it back again, uh, that he comes out. That gimmick, whether Vince McMahon meant to do it or not, I think was a total accident. And I think the only reason that it got over like it did was because he's quite talented and he's willing to invest fully in whatever it is he's doing. And Kevin Owens is Kevin Owens, and he made it work, right? To their credit, Ezekiel was hugely popular. I don't know why. <laughs> I'm not sure how that happened, but it was actually quite entertaining. And, but I think also the second Kevin Owens came out one week, I don't know what it was like three, four weeks ago. And he just sort of ignored the fact that he was even mad at Ezekiel anymore. He spent months going after this guy saying, I know you're lying. I know you're lying. And then they just stopped. And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, well, does he not care anymore? That was the end of Ezekiel for me. Like the, the second that that happened, Nobody cared that because you needed the payoff. You needed somebody to either admit that, yes, I am Elias or yes, there is another family here. And Ezekiel is some sort of, or he's crazy. And he thinks he's multiple people, whatever the situation was, they never paid it off. And I didn't, I didn't get the impression they were ever going to. And so for me, this injury storyline, them taking him out, I think this is probably the end of Ezekiel. I think that we're probably going to see him take some time away probably regrow the beard. And I wouldn't be shocked if Elias is back and we probably get the drifter version of that character um, as potentially a heel. Although it doesn't make sense to bring him back as a heel right away, just simply because of his last appearance, he was kind of the baby face. I'm on tour doing my thing. We'll see. Um, Other stars. Do you envision that he's going to, I've heard Lacey Evans is somebody that he's pulling away from TV and is going to repackage a little bit. Uh, T-Bar, which is Dominic Dijakovic. I've heard that too. Anybody else you see in a vision under Triple H's sort of creative hand that he's going to say, you know what, we've got better things we can do with this person. You know, the one sort of, sort of left field pick that I think and this is actually an NXT call up or an NXT 2.0 call up, as I guess I should frame it now, uh, Santos Escobar. Uh, I, I think we're going to see him on the main roster soon. Um, part of my, my rationale being um, he's got this uh, street fight coming up at Heat Wave with the stipulation that if he loses, he's gone from NXT. Um, this feels like a very natural breaking off point to me. I think he's done about everything he's going to do in NXT. I think he's super talented and exactly the kind of talent who would 
would have gotten totally lost in the shuffle under Vince McMahon creative, who I think Triple H would actually really celebrate um, and push. So a little bit left field, but, but he's one I'm, I'm sort of picking at this point. Um, I think he loses a heat wave. Uh, we, we give it a few weeks to kind of, you know, cool things off, lightly repackage maybe. Um, but then we see him on the main roster with a push. You think the whole group comes with him? I, that I don't think, actually. I, I think that because, you know, part of the stipulation for the match is that um, that they stay with the family if, if Escobar loses. And so I think this is sort of the breaking off point. Maybe they, they reintroduce that element of the character down the road, depending on where his creative direction goes. Um, I don't think quite quite yet, though. One of the things I'm looking forward to most, I'm hoping it happens in her Triple H, um, switching gears just a little bit here. We talk about characters, creative, what he has his handprint on and things like that. One of the things Triple H is really, really known for are entrances. Uh, that he goes all out and he brings out some of the coolest, most iconic, memorable entrances. To me, specifically, when we talk about repackaging characters, there are two people who, who stand out in my mind. Well, Karrion Cross is obviously one of them. And I wouldn't be shocked if on SmackDown this week, we see the show start that way. Where Karrion Cross comes out to his... Uh, entrance which you had mentioned earlier is kind of his calling card yeah he can wrestle he's a big dude he's got the look he's got the skills um but his entrance is really what you love and scarlet being attached to it everybody's just all into it right shinsuke nakamura and glorious robert rude those are two guys that i wonder will triple h go you know what it is a shame that we did not do more with these two guys when they were called up to main roster and that we did not take full advantage of how popular those entrances were i wouldn't be shocked if those two guys are repackaged back into those original characters and those entrances become a huge part of their presentation. And I will say that with rude because Ziggler's kind of doing his own thing. He wrestled against Chad Gable. He was out there versus theory for who knows what reason. Um, and Robert rude, there are whispers that maybe they're going to do that with him. So do you see wrestlers like Nakamura and Robert rude getting those entrances back and seeing if just simply, I mean, Nakamura's over anyway, but that those entrances can elevate those two guys to a whole new level of rude going back to being that heel that wants to save raw or SmackDown or whatever show he's on Nakamura, just the huge baby face with that entrance. Do you see that? And two, are there others that you could see that for? Like, are there any iconic entrances for main roster guys that we're overlooking going? Yeah. You got to get those entrances back. Cause those were huge. Yeah, um, I'm blanking on additional names, but I think that those are two great examples. Uh, Nakamura, I I for sure kind of see that. I feel as though, um, you know, even on the main roster, his his entrance has been, you know, part of the presentation, not nearly to the extent it was in in NXT or earlier on. And so, uh, yeah, I I think that um, I I certainly see that for him. Um, Bobby Roode is sort of a a really interesting case to me where I can see this going in a variety of directions where he's obviously so talented. um, But but the question I think to me is, is the bloom off the rose for him? Like, like, has it just been too long? Has he been in such a role for such a long time in the main roster now that we can't really, you know, bring him back in sort of a featured role at this point? Uh, I, I don't know. Um, the, the, the one, I think probably my favorite thing I've heard on social media, uh, James Storm, I think was, was tweeting about this, about the potential of that he would be, you know, uh, up to signing with WWE if he meant a beer money reunion. Um, and I, I actually sort of feel like that might be the best possible use for Bobby Roode at this point is, 
is I don't think we're going to take him seriously as a you know a top contender in the singles ranks. Uh, tag division, there, there's plenty of room to, to to grow and kind of expand serious teams there. And that's a team that's you know, got a proven track record, a couple of guys who can definitely go and who I don't, I think are both kind of, you know, past the point where they're going to be, you know, anywhere near the main event picture on their own. Um, but absolutely, you know, could really move things around in the, in the tag team division. Okay, let me ask you this then. If, let's say, I don't know if it'll happen, but if James Storm does sign, if their beer money uh, does make a return, and if they're pushed heavily with Rude being a huge part of the success of that team and they go on to win multiple championships, blah, 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 and they get a good year or two as a run as a tag team, would you then be able to see if Rude turned on James Storm? Yeah. The reinvention of Robert Rude and bringing that character back because you had a good year or two to really build him up in the eyes of the fans again and go, yeah, you know what, this dude can go. I think that's really viable. Yeah. And, and, you know, and it's sort of, um, this is an imperfect comparison, but, but on the fly, you, you consider Kofi Kingston, for example, um, career mid card, baby face in and out of tag teams. Um, New day gets over like crazy. And all of a sudden it becomes sort of viable that when he gets the, the crowd behind him in the right situation, he can have a run into WrestleMania and actually win the title. Uh, I'm not saying that Bobby Roode is going to follow, you know, that kind of trajectory precisely by any means. Um, but I think you're, you're, you're exactly right that with the right kind of, you know, tag team push and people kind of you know, seeing what you can do and getting behind the concept of a team like that um it does put it back on on the radar that he could conceivably get a, a big singles push yeah i'd be curious to see if they have a thought for him uh he's just so good his run in nxt for that year was so good and that they dropped the ball so badly when they brought him to smackdown and just thought that the entrance alone would make him a baby face i was kind of like oh man this is this is in trouble so i would like to see it even if you're right. Even if it doesn't play immediately because he's been sort of the dirty dogs were, were making some noise, but uh, he's been kind of buried. So it, it's tough, right. To turn a guy who hasn't been thought of as a real contender into all of a sudden, one of your top heels. It's tough. All right. Final question for you to close the show here. What do you believe we are going to see? Are there one or two things that you are most looking forward to under this triple H creative regime where you're kind of like, man, I mean, wrestling is one thing. We've seen a lot more focus on the in-ring product and and people have really responded to it. I'm a little concerned that you go too far that way, though, and become like an AEW. I think the biggest criticism for me with AEW is that Tony Khan and AEW is so heavily reliant on the wrestling that they are forgetting the fact that this is an entertainment product and you do need to tell a story and you do need to introduce characters the right way. And Triple H, I hope, understands that he's been in this business forever and in WWE forever uh, that he knows how important that is. Is there anything you're really looking forward to or on the flip side, a caution that you might say, man, don't do that. Like if you're going to go one way, you know, positive or negative, you pick which, what are you looking forward to or most worried about under triple H? Yeah, um, you know, on the positive side of that, um, this is a little bit of a cop out, but, but I, I think that just the continuous storytelling, right? Because I, I think that that's the piece that at the the latter years of the the Vince McMahon regime, um, sort sort of what was falling apart was just sort of we, we hear all these stories backstage about him ripping up the script, you know, the, the day of the show or the day before the show and rewriting everything. We see these dramatic turns or just kind of forgetting storylines, um, you know, th- things like the, them, uh, you know, signaling that they're going to have a tournament for the the women's tag team championship and then forgetting about it for a few months um and triple h you know, announcing a bracket like no this is going to happen that that's the kind of stuff that i feel really optimistic about and i think is, is moving in the right direction um and i think that the, the the threat and the thing i hope that they don't fall into is sort of just just losing track of sort of what did work under the under the old um 
on the old management. Um, you know, things like, for example, a Roman Reigns versus Rock match at, at WrestleMania. We still have no idea if that's really going to happen or not. There's there's plenty of you know hints here and there. Um, but I think that's the sort of thing that that's that's a very you know Vince McMahon like we're going to prioritize the you know our, our top guy versus a top celebrity um, who we also happen to grow in our in our in our garden. I, I think that you know that sort of matchup. Um, it doesn't necessarily fit Triple H's kind of vision as cleanly. I hope we still get that sort of thing. Cause uh, as much as that's not the match that I'm super pumped to see personally, um, that is a marquee match. That, that is a match that's going to draw in lapsed fans. And that, that's the kind of thing that, you know, I think is important to maintain. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm with you. I don't know. I would be too concerned about that to be honest, because of the fact that Triple H has specifically gone on Logan Paul's podcast and he was very complimentary of Logan Paul and what he's been able to do. Triple H was huge behind Ronda Rousey. You know, whenever she was on TV to first start in WWE, he was right by her side. So was Stephanie McMahon. Triple H has been very complimentary of Bad Bunny. I think he understands the importance of those crossover appeals, right? Like he is probably one of those guys fully fueling the idea that WWE goes out and hires these people, right? And says, we need to work with these guys because their influence and their connections and their network is massive for us. Um, and I think Nick Khan being the co-CEO with Stephanie, I think they'll get it. I think as a team, they're probably going to get that. Uh, I am with you though. I think you, you gotta be careful that you don't steal the big ticket marquee match from your show to give people too much of a chomp or give people too much of a gargano if you choose to bring them in. Cause I think you need to, you need to pace yourself on stuff like that. Uh, I'm looking forward to coming with next, the continuation stuff just on raw this past week with the intro of the car accident and the towing away, then the next they went all three hours and gave you something. You had to watch that whole show. You couldn't miss anything because if you did, you're like, well, I, what, what, I don't understand what's going on right now. That's really, I, I'm curious about how that goes. So this will be very fun to watch. All right, Mike. Well, thank you very much. It was a ton of fun to talk to you about your experience at SummerSlam, Ric Flair's last match, a little bit about what we think is going to happen with Triple H. If you're cool with it and you're available, we'd love to have you on again. I'm not sure exactly how long Norman's going to be on vacation for, but I think even with Norman back in the fold, we should probably bring you in to talk some of this stuff because that was a lot of fun. Yeah, my, my pleasure. And yeah, I hope we can do it again sometime. Awesome. All right, thanks. Uh, for everybody else, it's been another edition of the Sportser Show brought to you by thesportser.com. Uh, do us a favor, download, subscribe to the show. Uh, give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. We greatly appreciate it. Mike, by the way, where can people find and read and see your stuff? Oh, yeah. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at Mike T. Chin, uh, and it's MikeTChin.com. But besides that, obviously, I'm publishing regularly on the Sportster, and so hope people will, will follow along there. Awesome. And for me, everybody can check it out uh, at Talking Raw on Twitter. Uh, obviously, Facebook, thesportster.com. We write articles all the time. And they can join us for any of the live shows and check out the archives, too, in, this, in the Sportster Show, because there's lots of fun topics to talk about. Uh, thanks again, Mike. And we'll talk to everybody again uh, next week for another edition of the Sportster Show. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.